Welcome back to the Never Found, Never Forgotten podcast. It has been a long, long time. I am so sorry about that. Life, the pandemic, has gotten in the way, and I promise to do better. And I want to thank um, listeners who reached out and encouraged us to keep recording and keep releasing episodes. Um, that really means a lot when we're struggling to keep up with life um, during the pandemic, working from home, homeschooling, hybrid schedules, all that stuff. And just doing all of that stuff was hard with the podcast. So I sort of pod faded, which I didn't want to do. And that's terrible of me. I'm so sorry. So I really, really, really want to thank listeners who reached out that it just means the world to me. Thank you so much. It just really inspires me to keep going. And so I, I have some scripts ready to go. So I am dedicated to recording these episodes and getting them out there for you as soon as possible. So the case that I want to share with you today is possibly one of the most bizarre stories that I've ever covered on this podcast. Um, this is the story of 25-year-old Gary Mathias, who disappeared on February 24th, 1978. On the night of February 24th, Gary and four of his friends, Jack Hewitt, Jack Madruga, Bill Sterling, and Ted Weir, traveled from Marysville, California to Chico, California to watch a Chico State basketball game. The five men were friends and they knew they all knew each other from a day program for adults with mental or intellectual disabilities. All five men had various challenges. So they all knew each other from this program, this day program that they attended. And while others suffered from intellectual disabilities, Gary suffered from schizophrenia. And he had first showed signs of mental illness in high school, where he was actually hospitalized when he was a sophomore. He later joined the army, and he started abusing drugs. And this caused his illness to worsen. He was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and was granted a medical discharge. Gary returned to California, but things didn't improve for him once he returned home. He continued to abuse drugs, including methamphetamines, and he was arrested and jailed um, at times and became violent and aggressive. He was eventually hospitalized again, and in 1974, he even escaped from a state mental ho hospital and hitchhiked nearly 100 miles before he was returned. Soon, he began taking medications that seemed to stabilize him, and his life did begin improving. He was holding down a job and hadn't had any arrest in over two years. And he had made friends with Jack Hewitt, Jack Madruga, Bill Sterling, and Ted Weir. Jack Madruga was 30 years old, and he was working as, as a dishwasher. 
he and Gary both had driver's licenses, and Jack was real was actually driving them to the basketball game they were attending that night on February 24th. And while Jack Madruga was labeled as having intellectual disabilities, family members said that he was simply he simply processed things a little slower than other people. He had been in the army and worked as a truck driver and he had done very well and he was able to manage his own finances. Ted Weir he was 32 and he was the oldest of the group. His family members said he lacked common sense. And one time they said he had spent $100 on pencils for no reason. Another time uh, when the family home caught on fire, he stayed in bed and told his brother to leave him alone. He said that he needed his rest for the next day. He had to go to work. His brother dragged him from the home, um, even though it was on fire. Bill Sterling was 29 years old. He had previ previously worked at Beale Air Force Base as a dishwasher, but his mom made him quit after she learned that the airmen would get him drunk and steal his money. And this is something that occurs commonly, um, people taking advantage of those who are intellectually disabled. Um, it's something that's happened in my own family. Um, I have an uncle with intellectual disabilities and people often take advantage of him because of that. And it's, it's truly heartbreaking and disgusting that people do that. On the night the men disappeared, Bill had his $15 weekly allowance on him and maps of California. And while his parents had a cabin, a cabin near Bucks Lake in the Plumas National Forest, he didn't enjoy a trip there and never went back. Jack Hewitt was 24 at the time of their disappearance and was the most disabled of the group. He couldn't read or write or dial a phone, and he depended heavily on his mom or Ted Weir whom he had known for eight years. He didn't like being away from home for long periods of time, and he wouldn't have wanted to be away overnight. The men attended the basketball game in Chico, and afterwards they stopped at a convenience store to stock up on some snacks for the trip home. And it was about 10 p.m., and the, the clerk at the store was a little bit annoyed because he was trying to close. And so he remembers the interaction, and this was the last time the men were seen alive. The morning of February 25th, Ted Weir's mom wakes up around 5 a.m. and realizes that her son is not home. She calls Bill Sterling's mom, who's been up since 2 a.m., and they quickly learn that none of the men have made it home. On February 28th, the U.S. Forest Service ranger finds Jack Madruga's car on a mountain road in the Plumas National Forest about 70 miles from Chico and this is completely off track from their destination. Marysville is about straight south from Chico and the men somehow had turned east along their route home into the Plumas National Forest and when the searchers find the car they see most of the snacks that were purchased at the convenience store have been eaten and it looks like the tires have have spun out in the snow but the car is not stuck the car has about a quarter tank of gas in it so it's not out of gas and it starts right up they the searchers hot wire and it starts right up so it's fully functioning 
the area is very mountainous and the road is rocky and rough. The, the terrain is rough. Several of the searchers' vehicles get damaged driving up, up there to where the car is located. However, the undercarriage of Jack Madruga's car is not damaged. And this leads investigators to wonder, did someone who know the area drive up there? But the family insists that Jack wouldn't let anyone drive his car. And he was not familiar with the area at all. The men were not dressed for the weather. They were just wearing jeans, sneakers, t-shirts, jackets. And this is February, February 24th, late February, and a storm had recently hit the area. So the investigators search, but they come up empty-handed. And they search for months and they find nothing. Until June 4th, 1978. A group of motorcyclists are out and they notice a foul odor coming from a Forest Service worksite trailer near Bucks Lake. And this trailer is almost 20 miles from where the men left the car abandoned back in February. And they notify the Forest Service, and the Forest Service comes out, and what they find there horrifies them. Inside the trailer is the emaciated, decomposing body of Ted Weir. Ted is lying in bed, covered with eight sheets. They're pulled over him, tucked around his head. The medical examiner estimates that Ted lived four to six weeks after arriving at the trailer, but his body is in bad shape. He had lost between 80 and 100 pounds. He had lost five toes from frostbite. He had blood poisoning and gangrene on his lower legs. His official cause of death is ruled exposure in pulmonary edema. Beside him on the table is a ring, a necklace, his wallet containing cash, and a watch that does not belong to any of the men. The only thing that appears to be missing are Ted's shoes. Weir gained access to the trailer by breaking a window, and inside the trailer are matches, paperback books, wooden furniture, and evidence of a candle having recently been burned. However, there's no evidence that anyone ever started a fire. There's no evidence that anyone touched a propane tank that was outside available for heat. And inside the trailer, there are 31 cans of food from a storage shed outside that have been opened. But in the same shed, there's an untouched locker that contained enough food that would have fed all five men for a year. So it's completely puzzling why Ted is so emaciated, why he lost so much weight. It's also puzzling why they didn't start a fire to keep warm. The, the food cans needed to be opened with a, an army P-38 can opener. So this is not like a typical can opener. And only Gary or Jack Madruga would have had experience opening that from their time in the military. But some of the cans were opened. 
Just a few days later, the skeletal remains of Bill Sterling and Jack Madruga are found about eight miles from the trailer. Investigators do not believe that Bill or Jack ever made it to the trailer, that they were on their way to the trailer. And while the remains are of both men are skeletal, they do find the keys to the car in Jack's pants pocket. And the medical examiner is able to determine that the cause of death for Jack is hypothermia and exposure, but is unable to determine a cause of death for Bill. And I'm not 100% sure how they are able to determine that, if the remains are skeletal, if there's no... And why they're able to determine for one of the individuals, but not the other. But they know Jack's cause of death is hypothermia and exposure, but they're, they're not certain with Bill. On June 8th, the remains of Jack Hewitt are found also near the trailer. And so investigators continue to search, um, knowing that Gary must be nearby. They find three wool forest blankets and a rusted flashlight all nearby, but they find no sign of Gary. The only sign that they do find of Gary is that his sneakers are inside the trailer. Investigators believe that he switched shoes with Ted Weir because Ted wore a larger size. And it, it could be that Gary's feet were swollen from frostbite. And if that was the case, he would have needed bigger shoes. Investigators at local, state, and federal levels put in thousands of man hours searching for Gary, but they find nothing. And on June 19th, 1978, they call off the search. And there are a couple different theories about what happened to Gary and his friends. Family think that they met someone or a group of people at the basketball game that tricked them into driving into the mountains or threatened them to drive up there, that they wouldn't have just gone up there on their own. Another theory is that they saw something that they shouldn't shouldn't have and were threatened. Others speculate that they were chased into the mountains. Other theories suggest that Gary orchestrated this and is responsible for the deaths of Jack Madruga, Jack Hewitt, Ted Weir, and Bill Sterling. I personally don't believe this theory, but I also don't know what happened, and I can't begin to speculate. I just think this is so bizarre. I I don't understand. I don't know what could possibly have happened, but that's my episode for today after a long hiatus you can find us on facebook at never found never forgotten podcast if you have any cases that you'd like us to cover let us know there on the facebook page while my sister kayla does not record episodes with me right now i'm gonna get her back But while she does not record episodes with me right now, she does manage the Facebook page for me a lot. So she's seeing those messages a lot. She sees them a lot faster than I do, in fact. So, and thank you so, so much for listening. Um, I hope you're weathering this pandemic well, um, as, as well as can be expected. And I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.